Hey everyone, and welcome to the Darkcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Miley, and this is DCI number 89. In today's episode, Brian and I get to talk to Michael Davies and Grigor Pedrioli of Space Dust Studios to talk about Space Dust Racers, a, uh, a kart racing game that has more in common with Super Smash Brothers than Mario Kart, uh, and it's currently in its Kickstarter campaign right now. For more information, including links to the Kickstarter page, check out darkstation.com, where you can find all of that information in the show notes to this episode. You can also follow us on Twitter at darkstation underscore com, subscribe to us on iTunes, and send us an email at podcast at darkstation.com. So, thank you for listening, and I hope you enjoy the episode. Now on with the show. for joining us on the Darkcast tonight. How are you doing, and uh, who are we talking to? This is Michael Davies, lead gameplay developer from Space Dust Studios, and I'm doing great, thank you. And this is uh, Grigor Pedrioli, uh, Senior Art Gen- Generalist from uh, Space Dust Studios, and I'm also doing Swimmingly. <laughs> swimmingly, nice. Nice. Good choice. Very nice. All right, where, where did the name Space Dust come from? Oh boy, that's so. We've got about an hour. You said. Yep. <laughs> we have more. You just you just start. Sure. We need to have more. Yeah. We'll have more. So we, I, we I have think like... our record is like an hour and forty five minutes. So you know, we can break Excellent. records tonight. Let's let's do this. We have about like ten non start Facebook accounts for all of the different game names that we thought. Yeah, this is definitely it. And and mm. we we went and set up all the social media and websites for it. And then a week later, we're like, Nah, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> no, we've got to find something else. And we ended up having like this giant Excel spreadsheet when we were trying to come up with our studio name. And uh, there was, we were like voting on them, giving them scores out because there's five of us, which makes for a nice, you know, mm. sort of a, a, a voting number. Um, and we, we were scoring them all and, and we had like, you know, the average for them and the, the mean. And it was just a bit ridiculous. And uh, I think we were trying to come up with the idea of like something new and you know genesis and rebirth because we'd all worked together at a bunch of other studios in the past and uh you know we, we came together now we thought there's got to be some word for that and, and we kind of liked the idea of space dust because it was like formation of a new planet like something new out of the, the ashes mm. you know almost almost like phoenixing if you will uh, so yeah that's that's how that came about and then we moved on to space dust races and it seemed like a really good fit based on the theme of the game which was actually coincidence more than anything else mm. nice bit of trivia yeah hey that that's i think i think space dust race sorry uh, i was just saying that we specialize in trivia so that's that's great <laughs> oh excellent <laughs> i was gonna say uh, i think space dust races ended up uh space dust studios actually ended up being one of when we looked back over the sort of massive list of names, which went into the hundreds in the end, it ended up being one of the kind of the first sort of handful that we threw out. So we'd sort of, I think we'd sort of discovered it early on in the piece, but we just sort of insisted mm. on um, working it through its uh, 
Yeah, yeah. It's like it's like when you go to an ice cream store and they they list out like a hundred flavors for you, and you sort of go, "Cool, I'll have vanilla." <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nice, very nice. Uh, so, what what do you guys actually do at Space Dust? Uh, so, oh, I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll jump in there, Gregor, because I always sure. like jumping in first. Um, there's a really embarrassing video of me at uh, GDC, actually, from this year, where we were interviewed by Unreal Engine, and I proceeded to answer every question, and Nathan didn't get a word in, <laughs> which is, I highly recommend it. Go to our press kits on there. Uh, he opens his mouth a few times. Just and kind I just of sat silently by the side. Yeah. <laughs> were there points when he looked like he was going to jump in, and then, yeah, like, totally. you know, nope, I've got this. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so this is audio, so nobody's going to know if he doesn't get to jump, if nobody else gets to jump in. In, so it's great yeah, yeah. It, won't it doesn't help i've all. had two coffees as well so. <laughs> mm. Um, mm. yeah so I, i'm the gameplay developer uh so i do mostly software engineering and i've got a background in gameplay so stuff like controls user interface artificial intelligence weapons characters all that kind of stuff um i made the force gun on dead space which was cool uh so that's that's kind of my my bag oh and game design as well forgot about that bit very cool. I've never and done that in the past. I do uh, 3D art, uh, special effects, bit of level design, props, vehicles. When, when you have a very small team like ours, the art disciplines, you need to sort of be across quite a few. It's not like we just have a texture artist or a 3D modeler. It's the, the three artists that we have all sort of do sort of a variety of stuff. Um, and my background is actually in sort of fine art. I did printmaking for a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, my games dev career started in QA, of all places, about 12 or so years ago. And um, that was a, a really, really great way of getting a, a foot in the door into the games industry. Mm-hmm. So so you got in uh, QA. Um, <clears throat> Michael, how did you get into the games industry? I was far more conventional. I went to university and studied computer science <laughs> and from there uh yeah just I, I kind of figured like my parents are like well because i sat around at home for six months before i went to uni um you know how most people like when they're 18 they're like well i'm going to travel around the world for a year and yeah hang out in hostels and all that kind of stuff and i thought well i'll, I'll do the hang around part but um didn't really travel and my parents were like okay it's probably time to make a decision now and i'm like well i think i want to make games i don't know and they're like, you know, that's, that's not a career. Like, that's not an option. That's like what you do for fun. And... Who designed the force gun, mom? <laughs> that's, that's right. Um, so, yeah, I, I ended up applying for a couple of uh, game studios. Well, I, I, I did uni first and made a couple of games on the side there that were uh, pretty terrible. And you can, you can find them if you um, Google them. But I highly recommend not doing that. And, uh, yeah, anyway, used a couple of those to get into uh, Taurus Games in Melbourne. That was my first job. And it all sort of stemmed from there, really. I started gameplay all the way back in 2001. God, I'm so old. Mm. You are old, Michael. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Very nice. Now, you said there's, there's five people at the studio total? Yep. Yep, there is. So there's uh, myself and Grigor, and then we've got Glenn Stewart, who is our lead technology developer. He's the guy who's responsible for the cool smartphone controller tech in Space Dust Races, but I guess we'll probably talk about that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he loves technical stuff, so and graphics as well. Mm-hmm. So he and I are a good complement because I hate that stuff. And so <laughs> it, it works nicely. 
Um, and then we have uh, Stephen Honegger as well, is our other artist. Maybe you want to describe him, Grigor? Yeah, he's Swiss like me, so we're two Swiss artists working in an Australian games development studio, so um, we team up pretty well. Um, he's an awesome guy. Uh, Steve and I have worked together um, for about, oh, I don't know, a long time now. Um, that transmission, IR Gurus, transmission games, at Visceral Games, and uh, we've just got a very, I mean, we all do have a really great working relationship, but I think there's a certain bond between two two Swiss men that um, can only be sort of appreciated <laughs> if you're a Swiss man. It's, it's worth pointing out as well with the companies that we've worked at and we keep rolling off studio names in the past, half of them are all the same company, changing names for legal reasons. So, yes, yeah. that's true. <laughs> Except that's for Visceral Games, well. obviously. That's right, yeah. Well, no, even Visceral used to be EA and then they rebranded and they came out with that blue skull icon to, to be like extreme and raw yeah. and intense and in the moment it is intense mm. <laughs> yeah i was i was gonna ask you guys about the the studios that you've been a part of because looking at the your kickstarter page where we've got um you know battlefield 4 and hardline which those seem to go together all the dead spaces those seem to go together but then you've yep. got driver 3 tomb raider legend heroes of the pacific yeah um, it's been Silent Hill 2? Like, it's... <laughs> it, you kind of run the gamut there. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I guess this is because we're all so old. We've just, you know, got got all this experience going back to, to really old days. And I think a lot of us uh, tra- have travelled as well. So, like, I did Tomb Raider Legend while I was in San Francisco. I was working at Crystal Dynamics for a little bit. And that was cool. That was just a, a three-month stint. Um, I'm responsible for the motorbike sections in that game. I don't know oh. if I should duck or... Uh, yeah, but um, yeah, did, did that. I, I like some people. It's like, all right, so, you'll be you'll I'm... be marked for elimination. Later. <laughs> <laughs> yep, I'm on a list now. Right. Damn it! Should I get my shot? Yeah. Uh, and then it's too was, late. Was now. Driving Somewhere you. Steve Buscemi's sitting on a couch, just put lipstick on and get ready to cross you off. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> was was driver you, Grigor? Yeah, driver was me. This is uh, this goes back to my in my very first uh, job was at a, t- a place called Infogram's Melbourne House. Uh, Melbourne House is a is kind of like the seminal game developer in in Melbourne. It's um it started I think oh geez it probably started in the in the early eighties. I think um, the Hobbit on Spectrum was the first Hobbit game. on Spectrum. That's that's correct. Um and yeah well so when I started uh I was in QA and I was QAing a hell of a lot of games um for the larger infograms which then was um became Atari uh, hmm. and we were we were Atari Melbourne House at that point. Um, so yes, I was. Um, I spent about six months, I think, QAing Driver Three, which was. I guess I can say it now because it's old. It was a pretty rubbish game, really. <laughs> did they? Did they? Did they skip the QA portion when they designed the logo? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, I think um, it, it was interesting. I, I guess I'm not going to get in trouble by saying certain things here, but I mean, I remember when we when we finished up QAing on uh, Driver Three, um, our our bug logs had so many outstanding P1 blockers and A-class bugs open um, when we were actually moved on to another project that we couldn't, we sort of couldn't believe uh, what was going on. So, pretty sure um, every project I've worked on has been like that, though. Like yeah, the, it's the true. A's and B's are just stacked up by the end, and they try and yeah. hammer them down, but um, you know, there's always a pile left. I guess there's there's not as many patches though, so that people can get away with patches <laughs> this year. Uh, that the, these days, back when Driver was released, there wasn't so much of a patch thing. You just got lumped with it. So, anyway, I've, I don't know if this is a thing now, but I've heard that a lot of new games that are coming out on disc 
will basically just have a download code and you, you chuck in your, your DVD or your Blu-ray or whatever and then it says, cool, there's a 50 gig download to, to, to go. Right. <laughs> it is definitely that way with PC games. I know yeah, that. that's insane. Um, they they were going to go that way with the Xbox, but I think you know console games are still not mm. that route. I mean, I, there's still the huge like like uh, like day one downloads because I know I remember right. what was it? It was a uh, hey, the Master Chief Collection had that huge basically like a 50 gig yeah. download anyway. Yep, yep, yeah. We don't yep. have great internet in Australia. Our mm. government has basically uh, tripped up over themselves several times trying to get something in place, and they keep bickering and squabbling about it. So we've got like 1950s quality internet, which is it's, probably nothing, it's, actually. It's the Yowies, <laughs> I'm telling you. Every time I speak to somebody from Australia, it's the Yowies that are causing this. Yeah. I keep trying to get that out there. It's drop bears. Drop yeah. bears are uh, eating all the cables. <laughs> it is yeah. totally the drop bears. Mm. Yeah. They're a real problem. They yeah. are. They're actually in my house as we speak. If I get up and thump around, don't, don't get too concerned. Yeah, don't do that. In the <laughs> I don't want to lose you. I don't want, I don't want to hear that. <laughs> Frankly, I mean, I'm glad we don't have video because if that were to happen on cast, yeah, this will be a make us like internet famous at the same time. I would be just nightmares for the rest of my life. Uh, nice, nice. <laughs> well, let, let's all right, Jonathan, talk. get us back on track. That's <laughs> I, we're just going to change topics because I don't know how to transition. Tell yeah, us no, about Space Dust Racers. What is Space Dust Racers. Cool. All right. <laughs> Spiel mode on. Um, <laughs> Space Dust Racers is a combat racing party game. So basically, if you've played, I'll give you the, the more informal version. If you've played Mashed, Micro Machines, Rock and Roll Racing, even a little bit of Mario Kart or Crash Team Racing, you'll sort of be in the ballpark. Um, the, the key difference with um, some of those games is that it's everyone's on the same screen. So it's more like you know Towerfall Ascension or Speedrunners or Super Smash Brothers where you've just got to knock other people off the screen or blow them up mm. and so it all happens in rounds so that you start off with uh, up to 16 players on one screen to begin with and that can be 16 local players um, and that's I'll talk about that in a sec but uh, yeah the idea is that you uh, attack other people with weapon pickups and you know if you've played Crash Team Racing or Mario Kart you understand that kind of um, mechanic and you've just got to knock them out and uh, be the last one standing and if you do that you win the round and score a couple of points and the games or the rounds continue until someone wins the match and so there's no laps or checkpoints or timers or anything like that it's very much just a brawler on wheels that's kind of the, um, the, the basic gist of it Mm. Um, but the, the one cool thing about it that we've worked on is, and this is what uh, Glenn, our technology developer, did that I mentioned earlier, is allowing people to use smartphones, laptops, and tablets as extra controllers. Because the biggest problem that we've seen with party games is that you invite you know, a bunch of friends over and you go, okay, well, has anyone got controllers? Bring controllers. And someone has like this weird pink mad cat thing and you know, the you know, triggers don't work properly and... Uh, you know, people sit out because there's not enough um, controllers to go around. So we thought, you know, we'd, we'd see people bust out their smartphones and start surfing the net because they were bored waiting for their turn. And we thought there's got to be a way to turn that around. And then Glenn said, well, I can probably write a plugin for Unreal Engine uh, that lets you use these or makes, makes the game act as a web server, basically, and, and lets you connect through a browser and, you know, create a virtual controller that way. And I said, that's ridiculous. That won't work. And then three, three days later, he, he see, goes... my dog thinks it's ridiculous too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> crazy idea. Yeah. I, see, I shouldn't listen to your dog. Uh, no, but anyway, three days later, he comes back to me and he's like, I've got it working. I'm like, 
okay and we tried it and it was really cool mm. um we, we took a couple of iterations to get the controls just nice and simple so you don't have to look at the screen because obviously that'd be stupid then there'd be no point um and yeah, once once we got it working, uh, he added extra features. Like now we've got it so that you can, if you've got an Android phone or a laptop that's connected over Wi-Fi, you can plug in controllers to that with a USB hub. So you can actually get four controllers connected to your Android phone uh, and that's connected over Wi-Fi. So you can actually have 16 physical controllers if you want for all of the players in the room, which is really quite cool. Uh, the only thing we've heard of that does something similar is the Jackbox Party Pack on PC. Uh, that's 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 actually an amazing experience by it itself. Is. So to think that something more action oriented can also do the same thing—that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, and like we we looked at that one, and from what we've seen, they send out like when the controller connects, it actually goes out to the internet and then comes back. So there's a bit of a delay, but because it's just a buzzer, it doesn't really matter. Uh, but the difference with our one is that it, it's all done on your local network. So the only latency you see is just uh, you know your, if you ping from your Android phone to, to a PC that's running the game, uh, that, that kind of latency is what you're looking at. So we've, we've done like A-B tests, you know, put a controller in someone's hand and see if they can notice which one's the, the Wi-Fi one and which one's the physically connected one. And um, we certainly have, I haven't been able to pick it. So mm. it's, uh, it's kind of cool. Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's so that's nice. what Space Dust Races is. <laughs> So let's let's let, let me like I'm gonna I'm gonna take us off course a little bit here again. Yeah. Um, let's talk Piccolo Diablo. <laughs> what what is going on there? Well, so do you want to do this one, Gregor? Uh, sure. I mean, th this is this is Napes's Napes's baby. Napes is our creative and art director, so um, he's he's got a, a fantastic imagination, and. Um, he came up with this crazy character, Piccolo Diablo. He's a um, a cage fighting luchador, cab driver, aardvark. There you go. That's that's okay, right? Obviously. That's, yeah. I mean, that's you, got, that's. you guys didn't get that. I had everything but the aardvark. <laughs> now, I'm, now, now I'm beginning to recognize where this is coming from. Yes. Yes. He, he's an aardvark. So I mean, this uh, basically Space Ace Races is set sort of way, way, way in the future where. You know, it's uh, the Earth doesn't really exist as as the Earth anymore, and the uh, the the universe has been colonized by crazy aliens and you know other species that have uh, managed to um, get a foothold. And um, Piccolo Diablo is uh, yeah, he's a tough a tough cab driver uh, that hails from a place called Newvark City, and um, he's uh, he's very cute. And deadly. He seems to stand out as, as one of the favourites, <laughs> perhaps because he's so bizarre. But um, I mean, we've, that's kind of been a theme. Well, I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, you see, you see a crab in a robot suit every day, but Piccolo Diablo. I mean, that guy's <laughs> that guy's out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's one of the great things that we've gotten feedback on is that the characters and the environments—they're all sort of alien homeworlds that they're doing illegal street races on to to win these ancient trophies that they've discovered from um, planet Earth, which they've recently found and have been looting for, for treasure. Um, and, and people really, you know, the, the strange, odd characters really resonate with them. So that's, uh, it's always nice to hear, you know, it, it, but it seems that Piccolo is, is definitely one of the favorites. I think Piccolo and Herman, mm, uh, the, the, yeah. the crab, or the, what is he? So, he's a hermit crab thing. He, he's a cyborg hermit crab. Yeah. yeah. He was abducted yeah. by aliens from Clawtopia and he was, uh, Augmented um, to look the way he looks now. So yeah, he's um he's enhanced. Yeah. 
as I would assume all the aliens of the future are. Of course, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Why not? Now, now, are, is everybody an alien, or are any of these guys uh, like mutated animals from Earth that like got away and are now coming back? What? How? How deep does this lore go? Because it, it's already much deeper than I thought it would be, and this is exciting. Uh, how deep does it go? Look, I, I, I don't know how deep the lore goes. I, I would say it's, <laughs> you, you could you could sort of. Um, at a stretch, I mean, Nathan is the best person to talk about this as as it is something that has come from the depths of his um, amazing <laughs> mind. Um, but I, I would say, you know, it, it, at, at a stretch, you could say that maybe, maybe there is some sort of genetic uh, sort of remnants from Earth creatures. But th- we're talking, you know, hundreds of thousands of years in the future here, chap. Okay. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's it's w- whether they still are. The animals that we know and love today, I, I don't know. I, I think they've uh, they've evolved so much that they're they're animals in their own right now. Um, not, not to mention the enhancements, whether they be genetic or, or cybernetic. Yeah, exactly. Totally unrecognizable. That's, some of that remains That's, a mystery, I think. It is it. mysterious. Yeah, but yeah. to put it into to uh, context, we are having a story mode in the game, so that will be where you do all these illegal street races to win all this treasure from Earth. So there will be a bit of background there unfolding on mm. the, the Varkian universe, the Varkian Empire, which they're all a part of, and, uh, you know, what their motivations are, why why they want to steal the treasure. Okay. Fantastic. So, now, who's who's responsible for the weapons? The, the design of them are mostly me. Okay, uh, excellent. The, the, so the visual design has been... Let's, uh, then let's yep. talk about yeah. three in particular. Mm-hmm. Shark missiles. Number one, yes. Yeah. Number two, what what sets them apart and besides the look makes them a shark missile? Well, we wanted, obviously in a party racing game, homing missiles are just so much fun because they're slow and they stalk people. And there's this, will it get me? Won't it get me? Can I use someone else as a shield? Like it, it really builds the tension up while you're playing, which we love, you know, that was that was great. But we wanted to add that extra element that just makes it a little more terrifying. and. So the uh, missile actually is hunting you. Yeah, the, the missile is mm. hunting you, and it, it, is, it is it is chomping uh, while it's chasing you. So <laughs> it's kind of like a big terrifying air shark, robot air shark. So yeah, that seemed like kind of the scariest thing that we could think of, and and I yeah. think it, it certainly works. So mm. so we go from from shark missiles to ouchy rockets. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so ouchy rockets are really uh-huh. like a dumb spray and pray kind of mortar that you'll you'll fire in front of you and. A couple of them will fire off at once, and they're really good if you've got a big crowd of people in front of you, which you often do uh, when people are driving in a pack. So uh, they're they're a good one for just sort of not not aiming at anyone in particular. You'll spray and pray, whereas the shark missile, you really want to road type maneuver. That's right, yeah. Um, But the shark, you you usually pick a victim. Nice. And final one. uh, Now I imagine, like all lubes, uh, (laughs) space lube is kind of a use early, use often kind of thing. Absolutely, um, yeah. Mm, yeah. It's the WD-40 of the future. Mm. Okay. And is this like, is that like more kind of like a, is that almost like a trap where you're laying it behind you like a, like yep. a good spy car or are you just spraying it everywhere? Yeah, you, you basically just like lay it down on the track behind you. And it like most players, when they first get it, because it doesn't fire a projectile, they go, oh, well, this isn't very fun. Um, but then you suddenly figure out how to use it, and it's it's on on corners and before jumps is a great. Oh, time. totally. Yeah, yeah, and and you can wipe out half the pack with one of those in, in mm. place at the right time. In uh, I, I remember uh, Mod Nation Racers mm-hmm. was probably the last real big uh, uh kind of arcadey racer that I played. 
Yeah. And they had a one of you could lay. It was almost like a like a, a quicksand trap, and you yeah. put that on a corner, and it just ate people alive. It was fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've got kind of the opposite of that, which is uh, yeah. the shockwave, and that's like a, um, a sort of EMP charge up weapon that will. You, you can see it coming there's sort of a second lead up to it so you can get away from it but if you're caught in that blast that will actually fling you off the track oh, um, the closer you are the nice. more it more it'll fling you so you really have to be careful with that one dirty but pool. All, all of the weapons we try and give them some lead in time so that you're not just getting frustrated because you die and it's you've got no chance to react that's one of the really big things that i've tried to um, try to do with all the design of it is just let people have that warning and the opportunity to to counter it, um, which is part of the reason we've also got shields in the game as well, which is something that a lot of party races don't have. Uh, so there is quite a lot of strategy. If, if you use your shield, uh, you'll have to turn off, or you have to drop your weapon to use it because it's the same button. Oh. So you really have to choose carefully whether you want to equip a weapon and attack someone or defend from from someone attacking you. So you really have to pay more attention to who's around the track and you know, what weapons they've got as well. And kind of like what place you're in, where you are. Do you find, like in your testing, do you ever find people that just kind of drop back for a second and like wait for that big group to pass so then that they can kind of plan oh, their strategy? Absolutely, absolutely okay. yeah. And there's, there's a couple of different game modes that we have to, to sort of cater for different styles of gameplay. So the, the, the base one is called Knockout, which is just a free-for-all deathmatch. So that's, you get a point for knocking someone out or blowing them up, and that's pretty straightforward. Um, there's not much strategy there. That's just go in and cause chaos. So that's the best one for parties. Uh, if you've got a smaller group and you're all sort of advanced players, then you'll probably want to play Survival, which is where you only get one point for whoever wins the round. And that's oh. way more strategic because you can just sit back let the rest of the people thin themselves out and then you know pick people off at the end so there's a lot more strategy and you, you, that's when you find you'll, you'll get people not accelerating at the start waiting for someone else to go yeah. first and mm. you get all these weird counter plays and counter tactics and uh yeah that one's a lot of fun for for advanced players um the other game mode that we have is called leader where this is the closest thing we have to a race but it's still everyone on the same screen you've basically got to be in front of the pack to earn points and as long as a kill, if a kill happens in the, the round, you get the point for that, or whoever's at the front gets the point. So that's kind of everyone at the back versus whoever's at the front. So that's pretty chaotic when you're, uh, you, you get lead position. That sounds crazy. Yeah, and uh, it looks like you guys even have some options for people who have already, <clears throat> you know, they've, they've died in the game, but they can keep playing potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was something that we, we really had to do, especially if you're playing 16 players. Uh, I know a lot of other games like Mashed has airstrikes, uh, but we certainly, you know, have to do that for larger number, numbers of players as well. So we've got not just airstrikes, but we've also got ghosts as well. Uh, and that's basically the, the airstrike that we have in our game is a little different. We initially tried the, uh, the Mashed approach where when you die, you get a, a crosshair and you can shoot people with it. And there's, you know, one per player. But... If you've got 16 people in the game, that's a lot of crosshairs on screen. <laughs> and so we ended up going with more of a Ouija board kind of approach where there's one airstrike uh, scope and everyone <laughs> controls it at once. So you need to kind of yell at other people that are out who you want to go for. And there's this kind of <laughs> offline communication that happens that's really, really fun in a party situation. So we, we really liked that. That was a nice thing to come out of it. Uh, but the ghosts mode that we have is a little bit more like the traditional airstrike where each player will have their ghosts and they can move them around the screen and, st and mess with people that are still in the game, and, you know, 
tweak their steering and try and knock them off the track that way. So there's still things to do when you're knocked out. Um, that's, that's a really important part of it. And I mean, they're, they're the base ones we've got at the moment, but we've only done sort of a handful of, of all these different modifiers that you can turn on or off depending on you know how you want to play. And um, yeah, we, we really want to start getting people play testing it and getting feedback on, on what uh, they, they want to see. Because I think, you know, we, we've, we've got some idea because we've played a lot of these games in the past and they're, they're very dear to our hearts. But I think everyone, you know, the one thing we've noticed from going to GDC is that the game really resonates with people. They're like, oh my God, I love rock and roll racing or I love mashed or, you know, we'd, we'd play like binge sessions on the weekend and everyone has their favorite pickup and their favorite uh, track and, you know, their game mode. And so it's really good hearing feedback from them on what, what it is they want because we want to integrate that while we still can, while we're still in development to make mm. it just a bit more fun. So yeah, it's feedback is a really important part of all of our game design. Excellent. Now you, you mentioned that there's you know there's no traditional split screen here because with sixteen players having sixteen screens would be a little <laughs> ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. How do you or just sixteen boxes? That would be insane. Yeah, well, we that, actually yeah. prototyped nine player split screen um, oh. when we were starting out oh. and. I'm, I was thinking maybe if you've got a huge TV, it might work. <laughs> but it was just, it was ridiculous. And you get so you that poor a... person who's basically like the Alice of the group and they're stuck in the middle and they're like, oh, God, what's <laughs> That's going <right>. on? <laughs> it felt very Brady Bunch, yeah. Yes. But uh, how do you work with, with 16 people on one screen at once? How do you know who you are? Yeah, actually, that's, that's a really good point. It, it is very chaotic. That was something that we struggled with for, for quite a while. Because especially uh, because we want people to not start off in the same position every round, because otherwise that's unfair. Like if you're on the sort of bottom right corner near an edge, you know you, you're pretty likely to get knocked out if you uh, if you don't you know drive well at the very beginning. So we tried a few different things, and actually one big inspiration for that was uh, Hidden in Plain Sight. I don't know if you guys have played that, but it's a really cool party game on I think it's on PC and Xbox 360. But the whole premise of that game is there's 40 or 50 characters on screen. No one has any indication of who they are or who anyone else is. So most of them are NPCs. And mm -hmm. if you've got four people playing, then four of the characters are controlled by you. And all, the only way you can figure it out is by just moving your character around and trying to see which one you are. And at the same time, you're also looking at every other NPC on screen and trying to figure out who the other people are in the room, which is a brilliantly simple concept and it's incredible how quickly when you push a button to move your character your eye is drawn to that movement it's this weird like human psychology thing where you you've you've decided to do something and you can see that happening on screen even though it's not attached to your body and so that was kind of the um the beginnings of the idea of maybe we just need something to you know some kind of button that will draw your eye to your character immediately and you can push that whenever you like and what we ended up doing is when the rounds begin, everyone has a number above their vehicle. So you can look out for your number, which is good for sort of, you know, four player games. But if you have 16 players, you don't have time to look at 16 numbers. So what we have is if you wiggle your steering uh, during that period, your number will basically flash. And that'll flash like in time, it's an analog input. So you can, you can control it in all different ways. And oh. so what we see is that everyone will, at the beginning of a round, you wiggle your stick in your own little weird pattern and your eye just immediately gets drawn to it. It's it's uh, works really well. Mm. Um, 
better than I thought it was going to. I was really concerned about the way to solve that problem. But um, yeah, that's that's solved it really nicely. And so 16 players isn't really an issue for that anymore. Great. Nice. So, so thank, um, thank you, hidden me in plain sight. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so with, with the uh, the the game kind of working as the server uh, for the controllers, mm-hmm. how does online multiplayer work yep. then? Yep. Yeah, the, the the controller tech is actually completely independent of okay. what kind of game you're playing. So if you want to play online, you know, an online game of sixteen people, you can have eight people at one machine, and then you can have four people at another one. You can have one person and another one, and it doesn't matter. You can have any controller on any of those machines. So you might have four X X input controllers physically connected, or you might just have everyone just using smartphones or everyone just using smartphones with daisy chain controllers off it or a laptop. Like it's because they're virtual controllers, it really sort of abstracts the whole thing away. So there's one of the things we talked about actually um, for our Kickstarter was uh, creating an infographic that just shows you that you can play in all these crazy combinations but it ended up being such a complicated diagram that we we ended up just saying we support these different controllers instead mm. that's a little bit easier but uh yeah that is something that people wonder about um and and it, yeah the online is completely independent so you can have any number of people in any uh room the, the only limit is you have 16 people uh in, in one game gotcha you need a big couch though oh yeah <laughs> yeah 16 players is going to be an achievement by the way if you get them in one room Nice. Very nice. Very nice. Now, how how does the controls actually? How do the controls work on a smartphone? Because mm-hmm. touchscreen controls have a pretty bad rap a lot of the times for oh, a good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, how does that work with a, an action racer where you need you know good reflexes and to actually be yeah. able to steer something properly? Yeah. So we've got I think there's like five buttons at the moment, and we're actually going to try and get it down to four for the final thing so that it's really one side of the screen is your steering it doesn't matter where you put your finger down on that or well, your thumb I should say uh, that'll just take it from wherever you are and you can flick left and right to steer uh, we've, we've actually got a few different control schemes as well because it, it, it's one of these things that's really personal especially for racing games mm-hmm. some people like the accelerometer some people hate it some people prefer to just have buttons some people like an analog stick so we've got uh, something to hopefully cater for everyone and to be honest, the controls are something that we're still going to iterate on as we go forward based on playtesting. Um, that's something that we're really looking forward to opening it up to the community and getting some feedback on and um, you know, seeing how we can improve it. But yeah, the basic idea is that we just keep the layout so simple and the buttons are huge so that once you, you get your thumbs in place, you look where they are and you go, okay, that's kind of it. You don't really need to look at the screen again after that. Um, so it keeps it simple but one of the other cool things we have is force feedback on the smartphones as well so you will get feedback when uh, you know stuff is happening in game so you're not disadvantaged for using a smartphone in that sense but um, you know if you really hate touch controls uh, I I personally am not a fan of them Um, some people don't mind them but I I would you know just connect up a physical controller to my phone then instead with USB on the go or or use like an you know Nvidia Shield or um, any other kind of gamepad. We'll, we'll, we'll try and support as many of those as we can uh, that, that is humanly possible. Um, any of the popular ones uh, will we'll certainly, if there's demand for it, we'll, we'll support it. Great. Brian, you have any more questions yes. about the game in particular? 
Come back to me. I'm thinking. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> I'm trying to take this in. I'm still. I, I still keep going back to that picture of like seeing my dogs do it too. Of just you know like Piccolo and I'm looking at. Oh no no. So, sorry. Okay. So on the side of the screen. Yes, we know. Thank you. I appreciate your your feedback, dog. So side of the screen, you've got the kind of the names lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, are you guys gonna? You, you mentioned kind of Jackbox and the way they do the kind of jump in for the multiplayer. Um, are we going to be able to assign names, um, or is that just going to be like kind of the name of the character that you're playing? Yeah, you know, this is something that we're still figuring out. We we initially had it so that when you jumped into a game, it was more like a, a first person shooter where you pick your name and you can see everyone else on screen. And mm-hmm. with 16 players, it started to get really noisy. And we were thinking about it, and there's no like because it's a party game. It's not like you're leveling up. A character or a, you know you don't you're not really um connected in on a long-term basis with any of the characters it's sort of mm-hmm. you jump into a round and they're all um symmetrical in terms of the game design they all all have the same functionality so they don't have special moves or anything like that so mm-hmm. the need for personalizing them we think is less important um and it certainly gives us a bit of freedom in a party game to just get get people into the game as quickly as they can and not, especially in a local multiplayer sense. I mean, you don't want people all trying to type in their name or anything like that. Um, so I think I think we're going to probably keep them as just the characters, uh, mm-hmm. just just to keep it simple, because uh, it's sort of the focus of the game should be just get in, have fun, drop in, drop out. You know, it's not it's not really a long term level up XP kind of game in that sense with achievements and um, yeah, sort of long term progression. Now I see somebody on the the screen named Hardvark, which I, I assume would have been like Piccolo's first name or something like that. But <laughs> yep. Hardvark needs to stay. That just... <laughs> I, yeah, I don't care if he's just cool. like a blue variation of Piccolo. Yeah, like, Hardvark. Hardvark. Yeah, totally. We to... agree. <laughs> we had a lot of fun coming up with those names at, at the moment because we've got four characters in there. Uh, we and we need sixteen players, obviously. So we ended up coming up with uh, sort of skin variations on those four characters, just to give them a bit of um, variety. So we didn't have you know four of the same character driving around. But uh, obviously, the long term goal is to have unique characters uh, so that everyone has a completely different name. But uh, yeah, <laughs> those temporary so, names. But are I mean, you know, you can always go the Mortal Kombat route and have you know seven different people that are all the same, just <laughs> different, <laughs> different colors. That's exactly right. Yeah, and that's it depends on how the Kickstarter goes and and the scope of the final project as to to how much content we create. Really, it's interesting that the name Hardbark has resonated. Uh, you're not the only people that have have really uh, taken a a shine to Hardbark. So uh, we'll definitely keep him in there. I think. Yep. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's a great name. It's familiar. But at the same time, it's like you know, you know what that character's getting down to, uh, kind of like <laughs> Captain Fizz. That Captain Fizz goes a long way to explaining what his uh, what his or her motivations are. It does indeed. Yep. Now, speaking of the the Kickstarter a uh, minute ago, mm-hmm. why did you guys decide to go with Kickstarter versus any other options for uh, producing the game? Yeah. So the main reason that we did that was we wanted to throw it out to the community and start getting, not only growing our audience, but getting people that were really, uh, you know, potential fans of the game and hopefully resonating with with people that, that played a lot of these old party races. Because I think 
there's a there's a big community out there of people that you know they, they have one of these games in their hearts and and it was something that they played as a kid and they they probably still have their original playstation or their original xbox to to play it every now and then with their friends and, and we wanted to get those people reach out to them and and show them that there's something new that's out there uh that they can be a part of it's not just like you know we've seen a lot of kickstarters where it's it's very much just pre-orders for a game and that mm. that really wasn't what we wanted to do with it we we wanted to draw people in uh you know and get them involved with helping us shape the game so that's why we've done the kickstarter reaching out to people and asking them not only back the project but get involved with our we've got a, a closed pre-alpha and alpha period as well uh, that you can be a part of and that's where you'll really be play testing with friends and suggesting stuff and you know we'll, we'll be listening to your feedback quite closely um, during that period nice nice now what what does the the Kickstarter actually fund when when somebody gives you money what is this helping you to do I'm glad you asked. We have a very detailed breakdown on our page if you scroll down to the bottom, <laughs> which the feedback we're getting is not many people are scrolling all the way down because it is quite long. But, uh, you know, hopefully they've got the gist of it by then. Um, it's it's crazy how expensive... Well, first of all, with Kickstarter, it's crazy how much of that money gets eaten up almost immediately by mm. Kickstarter themselves take a cut and there's tax and we're using Unreal Engine, so they take a cut. Mm. And then... Yeah, I see that. epic royalties, and I assume that's not just like really awesome royalties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that that's the because uh, they they consider uh, selling well any any reward that has uh, a copy of the game in it. Uh, they they whatever percentage of, of value of that is the game they take their cut from, which is part of the uh, the epic licensing yeah. agreement. So. Yeah, and then you've got you know your, your tax and sort of overheads and Kickstarter fees and all this other stuff. So really, like at the end of the day, we we're using a chunk of it for uh, audio and, and getting a really kick-ass uh, electro swing soundtrack happening. We've got all the all the boring stuff that needs to happen with games like translating and um, running it through certification for Xbox and PlayStation Four, which is actually a really lengthy process, um, which is quite good. It's that's their, you know, making sure that everything is, uh, you know, okay. And when you disconnect the controller at the right time, it, it does the right thing. Just just making sure that the, the, the game behaves how people would expect it to. Um, and there's quite a lot of work involved in that to get that uh, up and running. You don't need to do that with Steam so much. Um, but consequently on Steam, a lot of the quality tends to suffer a little bit, um, especially if you're playing with a controller, I've noticed. Like, big picture is awesome, but it really varies from game to game whether it's going to work in a uh, you know on a, in a TV setup, mm-hmm. um, and then we've got development as the other really big expense. So that's pretty much just food and rent for us guys, really. Mm. Um, you know, we're uh, we're and really we don't have an office. Sorry, you go agree. And it's it's little salaries too. Like we're not sort of um, we're not on visceral salaries. We're doing it we're doing it indie style. So um, yeah, it's it's surprisingly small really for for actual development. Yeah, if if you look at the total amount we're asking for the Kickstarter, and then look at the percent that's going into development, um, it's a pretty sobering amount when you consider it's five guys who need to be working on this until uh, probably early 2016 will be our release. Um, so you know, it it is really just bare bones that we're asking for. We know that once we get it out, we think it'll do pretty well. Um, we've certainly got good feedback on it so far, so we're we're totally fine with just working from home. 
uh, you know, we get to hang out with our dogs and, and, and kids and families mm. uh, while we do it. So it's, it's, it makes a nice change up from the old AAA lifestyle that we all used to lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds a bit more chill than the AAA, yeah. like, crunch period. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, look, when you work from home, uh, and I'm sure you guys have probably experienced this if you've worked from home in the past, it's just a different set of distractions. You know, you, you don't have team meetings and that weird guy who always comes up behind you and rubs you on the shoulders while you're eating food at your desk. That's because I'm not allowed to go over to your house. <laughs> That's right. That's because of the restraining of the group dog. We've been over this. That's the reason we're on Skype today. Yeah. I was going to um, say, they had just installed cameras at my work. How do you know I do that? It's horrible that it's gotten that far already. Yeah, but you just have different distractions instead. So, you know, it, it, it's it's a mixed bag, but mm. I actually prefer it. And I think, I think part of the reason I'm not going insane is because I have a dog and I get to take my... Boston Terrier to the dog park once a day and meet other people and that that keeps me sane that's my water cooler time really I have a son who's nearly he's 20 months old so he's my uh he keeps me sane as well I have I have an, I have an 18 month old how does he keep you sane because <laughs> between between my four-year-old and the 18th month old I, I quite I think the 18th month old is actually out to get me <laughs> No, well, uh, this uh, Vito's our f- our first one, so um, oh, okay. He's uh, he we will love him no matter how much poo he throws at us. <laughs> no one is selling kids to me. <laughs> That's yeah, right now. Yeah, yeah. Don't do it if you were not convinced at first. That, that just don't go down that road. You have a dog. You're fine. <laughs> they have they have very basic needs, and, and they don't. You know, they, while they will yell at you, eventually they'll stop. <laughs> I will hate that advice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's coming from somebody that absolutely adores fatherhood. So that's <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a scathing Yelp review right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Two stars. Um, unfortunately, would eat again. Like... <laughs> oh, already did. Yeah. Um, so, uh, in terms of what backers can get out of this, what what are some of your your more favorite rewards. Yep, yep. So obviously the, the big one is getting a copy of the game. Um, that's a no-brainer. Uh, we're one of very few Kickstarters that lets you choose whether you want a PC version or an Xbox One version or a PS4 version. Um, there's been not been a lot of those, and it did take a little bit of organizing on our side at the back end to make sure that that was all cool with our partners. Uh, but mm-hmm. no, that all got approved, so we're, we're good to go. Uh, so you can, you can pick that. Obviously, you'll get your name in the credits uh, and you can get a copy of the art book either in digital form or you can have that as a signed physical reward signed by all of us so special um we've also got a copy of the soundtrack as well because we we really think the soundtrack is is going to be quite cool like we've, we've got a demo up on the kickstarter you can have a listen to and certainly the feedback we've seen on Steam Greenlight and on the Kickstarter so far has been really positive. Uh, I think people are really excited about it. It's, it's going to be really fun and upbeat and just a mix of Star Wars cantina and world bouncy grooves and um, a little bit of electricity as well. So that should be pretty cool. Um, and of course, you can also get uh, exclusive in-game content. So we have Interstellar Racer paint jobs and themes. So the paint jobs are basically outfits um, and, and uh, different uh, paint jobs for your vehicles that you drive. 
So only you'll be able to get these uh, through the Kickstarter if you back. We've also got uh, early access. So this is we've got a closed alpha if you want to get in our test pilot program. And there's also a closed pre-alpha if you really, really can't wait. And that's going to be access to <laughs> what you see in the video, which is the Kickstarter playable video, or the playable demo that we, we show off. So if you really want to get in, um, a lot of Let's Players have been interested in that uh, and they're jumping on board so they can start streaming it. Uh, so yeah, that's been pretty popular. Um, and then beyond that, we have these crazy uh, sort of high tier rewards where you can have your name written in the game as graffiti. In uh, we've got a Varkian alphabet, so it's a sort of a it's a cipher from the um, you know Roman uh, letters to uh, the Varkian universe, and you can get your name graffitied in uh, secret places around the levels of the Easter eggs. Is that like what's above the character names on the Kickstarter page? Yes, that is. That's okay. that's the Varkian alphabet there. So we we'll probably put like a uh, some kind of decoding. Uh, panel for that somewhere in the game, hidden. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, you can probably figure it out from the amount of content we've thrown out already. Um, you can also name uh, an in-game building or billboard. Uh, you can help us design one of the lost ancient artifacts from the game, which is kind of cool. One of the things I really like about this is that all of the Varkians have no idea about Earth. They, they completely misunderstand everything that they're finding on the surface. And so everyday items from Earth that you and I would take as just a you know fairly inanimate object, they're, they're thinking it's something far more interesting and technological. So there's a lot of opportunity <laughs> for sort of getting some dramatic irony and humor mm. there, which we're excited about. Um, we've also got the ability to design achievements if, you, if you're a real uh, sucker for making people miserable around the world, completionists, <laughs> stopping them from getting any far. Uh, you know, getting uh, fully complete um, achievements on the game. Uh, and then we've also got one of my favorites is designing uh, an absurd weapon power-up with us. Uh, I, I think that whoever gets that is, is going to have a lot of fun. There's, there's, I think there's only two of those, uh, and they're both available at the moment. So, um, yeah, if, if you've got crazy ideas for weapon pickups, uh, definitely, uh, you know, check out that um, reward tier. Mm. And also, you can design a playable character, and that can be based on your pet, which I, I love the idea of. Or you can just come up with something completely crazy uh, and get them in the game that way. So there's there's plenty of uh, plenty of rewards there of, of stuff for all different uh, price brackets and you know different interests. So hopefully, there's something that will interest people if they want to check it out. Fantastic. Now, now I'm going to make things really depressing here for a second, mm -hmm. uh, asking the worst question that <laughs> I get to ask in, in yep. all of the interviews is, what happens if you don't get funded on Kickstarter? Yep, yep. So that we've talked about this, and, and we'll, we'll see how it plays out. Um, we've certainly got an uphill battle ahead of us, but um, you know we're, we're, we're hopeful. Uh, but if it doesn't happen, it's not going to be the end of the world. That's... Um, you know, it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster doing a Kickstarter. I think everyone we've spoken to that that uh, has done one has said it's just crazy. Like you, you try to not get too invested in it, but once you start, it's like you're putting yourself out there for the world to see, and it's a very, it's it's something that it's like sort of almost like becoming a digital celebrity overnight. That's how it feels anyway, and it's something that takes a little bit of getting used to. So, um, you know, we've we've been all over the place with what we've been talking about doing, but look. If we don't get the funding, we're already quite a way in, and there's there's a lot of options we can do. So I think we'll 
Um, we're, we're still figuring out what that's going to be, but we have other options for funding. One of the cool things about uh, being in Melbourne, Australia, is that we have Film Victoria, who uh, they actually provided some of the funding for the demo that we've we've done um, that you'll see in the video. So we can certainly come back to them and and sort of say, look, you know, if the Kickstarter didn't work out, let, let's have another chat. Um, so we're really fortunate in that regard, and we also have a, a couple of other options, Unreal Dev grants as well. Uh, are throwing out uh, money for Unreal developers, so just to help them along if they're in, in a spot of um, need. So, you know, th there's options there. And I think, look, if, if we did, uh, the Kickstarter didn't go ahead and we decided to do, say, Steam Early Access, for example, it wouldn't be a massive amount of time for us to get to that. So we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But um, whatever happens, you know, we'll, we'll keep all the backers in, in involved and engaged. And um, the main thing to take away is it's, it's not going to be the end of the project if it doesn't happen. We'll, we'll certainly uh, plow straight ahead and, you know, uh, if it doesn't kill us, it'll just make us stronger. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to hear. Yeah. Always good to hear. Well, Brian, do you have any more questions before we uh, jump into the end game? No, I think we're, we're, uh, we're ready to go for the end. All right. Um, so we'd like to end with a little bit of a questionnaire. Um, it's more just for you guys than uh, about the game in general. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, you, we'll, we'll just uh, jump right into it. Um, question number one, um, who is your favorite video game protagonist? Good one. I think I'm going to go with uh, Nathan Drake from Uncharted. Mm. I think he uh, he's just got such great one-liners, and it's so, yeah, yes. so cheesy. Mm. <laughs> it's he's he's not pretend, pretending to be anything he's not, and that's what I love about him. <laughs> yep. I would I would actually agree with Michael there. I think I think I'll also say that as a uh, independent games developer. I struggle to find any time to play any games whatsoever. So Uncharted is probably the last game I played. Oh, and a bit of Skyrim maybe. So, um, uh, but I do. I I really like uh, Nathan oh, Drake as well. Actually, I, uh, sorry, no, no, you're right. Yeah, yeah, no. Oh, I was going to say Skyrim. Like, it's not really. You can't really call them a protagonist, but being able to create your own character and spending like an hour making. This is what I do in all of the Bethesda games, right? Is I try and make the ugliest character that I can. <laughs> I, I just I push all of the sliders. There's, there's a whole pool of you people out there. Oh, it's, it's, it's brilliant, you know, and it, it's so funny because you forget, and then you go into third-person mode, and you know, like you, you pop out of it just for a moment, and you see this horrendous thing. And, oh and God, so, what did I do? Yeah, that's right. So I think I think that's that's certainly my favorite being being the ugliest protagonist that I can make. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess I am my favourite protagonist in Skyrim. But, um I spent about seven hundred hours in it prior to actually going indie, so um I do love myself and the way I look mm. in in my game. Um yes. Me. Yep. And I've got to give runner up points to the, the character in journey, whoever whoever that is. Mm. Because that was two hours of my life where not a word of dialogue was spoken and at the end of it I was on the verge of tears and I'm like wow that's that's pretty powerful so yeah that that's uh whoever that was in that game whatever I was that was um that pretty cool mm. absolutely got all serious there mm. that's all right that's... I'm actually crying now <laughs> <laughs> they do that uh, question number two, uh, flipping the coin for number one, who's your favorite antagonist? For me, I think it would be uh, Handsome Jack from Borderlands 2. Okay. 
I think he had the, the, the whoever did the voice acting for that was brilliant. But just the delivery and the the quality of the material as well was hilarious. I think I think they've really stepped up their game from Borderlands one to two, and it um, it was a, just an, an incredible experience. And yeah, the writing for that character was brilliant, and the, the delivery as well. So definitely for me, handsome Jack. Oh, I don't yeah, I think that coming from coming from Borderlands, the only one that even came close for that first game was uh, General Knox. Yes, so, yeah, General Knox was pretty close. I, I feel like Handsome Jack was probably based on like an evolution of of Knox's kind of psyche. Yeah. And I'm not entirely sure, really. Um, as I said, I haven't played a lot of games, but um, I, I guess the Smoking Man from um, the Mass Effect series is pretty good. Hmm. Uh, I've never played the Mass Effect games. You know, uh, what's what's his name? Charlie the, um... Sheen. Uh, yeah, the elusive yeah, yeah. Man. yeah, yeah, yeah. Elusive Man, that's the one. Smoking Man's Martin in the Martin Sheen. Not Charlie <laughs> yeah. Sheen. Martin Sheen. Oh, my God. I would He's love to see Charlie Sheen. Come on. Actually, Charlie Sheen would make a really good evil person in a video game. He'd just kind of throw totally. alcohol at you and <laughs> take a piss on your couch. Light you on fire. Well, can Flash. he be one of the racers? Charlie Sheen. <laughs> hang on, hang on. We're, we're making a game. It's got to be E-rated, so I, I think um, oh. we, we might get into trouble. There. We'll get letters from angry parents. Yeah. There's only so much or... they're allowed to do with space lube. <laughs> <laughs> what is he doing with Piccolo Diablo? Yeah. Oh, mommy, what's that? The poor Aardvark. <laughs> Talk about a Aardvark. <laughs> All right. Uh, now we need Moving to on. on. Yeah, uh, question number three. Um, outside of that awesome one-liner I just had, are there any <laughs> other good trends in video gaming that uh, you'd like to see kind of proliferate and continue uh, on more than they are now? Yeah, I think smartphone controllers. Plug, plug. <laughs> <laughs> good call all out. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> uh, look... I, I want to see I want to see Skyrim six. Now th this is going to make Michael really angry because that's all <laughs> I talked about for a long period of time. But um, I want to see Skyrim six. I want to see it kind of uh, on PS four, Xbox one, and I want to see it maybe sometimes towards the end of next year when our own development is over and done with, and uh, I can actually just slip into it for a few hours, a few you... a few beautiful hours. <laughs> Would you be willing to? Oh, I'm sorry. You go. Uh, would you be willing to allow us a Fallout Four first? Of course. Okay. Well, well, well will that fit into my time frame? <laughs> I, you, knowing Bethesda, it just might. I oh, mean, good. they're having their very first E3 conference this year, so hopefully that's their uh, that's their announcement, and we get to see that. If not, uh, you know. At the end of this year, and then next year after, of course, Space Dust Racers comes out. Beautiful. I, well, I really, yes. I really hope with Fallout 4 or, or Skyrim 2 or whatever comes first that they don't make DLC for it because how, who, who has time to finish the main game? Like, I'm 150 <laughs> hours into the base Skyrim and I still haven't even finished it. It's like, who has time to, to move on to the DLC? Like, I finished all the DLC. This is going to feed into question number four, uh, but they're going to make DLC for it. <laughs> I'm sure they are, yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt. 
Uh, but, but question number four is kind of the um, is the uh, uh, the again a kind of a coin flippage on the the previous question is uh, what kind of uh, a trope or or trend would you like to see just go away completely? <laughs> um, I don't like casual gaming. <laughs> okay, I think it's been a really interesting shift in the last five years as. You know, smartphones have become the mainstream. Everyone has one, and there's a whole new audience in in gaming that suddenly want to play games. And there's, let's say, questionable development processes around a lot of casual gaming um, based on psychological tricks to get people coming back to the game with loose ends and, you know, feeling like you're making progress. And I, I yeah, it look. To, to a degree, every game that's ever been made has had some kind of hook to keep you coming back to play it. And I mean, that's what RPGs are about, right? It's about leveling up mm. and ma making progress, which is fine. Mm. But when that starts to get tied in with real world money, when microtransactions come into it and you start taking advantage of people that don't really necessarily understand, uh, you know, the small amounts of money that they're putting together adding up to large amounts, I have a bit of an ethical problem with that. And so I've, I've never really been keen on working in the free-to-play space or um, particularly to a casual audience. Um, so, yeah, I would, I, would, I would like that whole part of the universe to just disappear. <laughs> I agree. I think, you know, if, if, if I had to, if they suddenly, let, let, let's say they, they brought out Skyrim 6 and uh, Elder Scrolls 6, I should say, or whatever it's going to be called, and... You know, as I'm leveling up, it's going to cost me a little bit of real money just to kind of do a little a little tweak to my character here. I mean, that that would that would totally kill kill it for me. And I think people that maybe are in the casual market don't know that that you can get that really nice, satisfying experience from playing some of these other games. And these this these kind of casual, tricky little games, I don't think I don't think it's it's good for for games in general. Yeah, I, th I think you know if if the question that people are asking when they're working on the game, instead of being is this more fun, they ask, will this increase our conversion rate? <laughs> then you're like, you know, I don't think this is a fun game anymore. <laughs> mm, yeah, there's something a bit sinister about it. Yeah. Fair enough. Yep. All right, uh, next question. Um, the next few get a little crazier, um, <laughs> kind of, I guess. Um, so you guys uh, have obviously been making games for a while. Mm -hmm. um, is there any other um, profession you'd ever consider trying, no matter what it is? <laughs> That's a great question. I, I think when I am old and tired and don't understand games anymore and, and then the kids that play them and, and just want to give it all up, I will probably run a coffee shop. Because I love, I love good espresso, and I, I could easily see myself doing that. The public, Michael. The bloody public. You'd have to deal with the <laughs> grumpy people early in the morning wanting their coffee. And I do it at like a holiday destination. Basically, I'd just oh, yeah. run away. I'd, yeah. I'd have a coffee shop in the middle of the woods that no one would ever come to. <laughs> it's not a great business, but you know I haven't written the prospectus yet, so it might. Be but, but but the important thing is is that you always have coffee, even if nobody <laughs> ever comes. That's right. You have coffee. I'll be climbing the, the walls part. on my own. <laughs> um, I was I was born and brought up in the country. I'm a I'm a country boy, and I go back. My my wife and um, her family they still live in the country, so. I think once I've 
had my foray into uh, games development, which will hopefully go on for a few more years. I'd like to retire to the country and grow some vegetables and raise some sheep and eat them. <laughs> that sounds very self-sufficient. Yeah, something a bit sort of, you know, just, just make enough money to kind of move to the country and not have to think about it too hard. Yeah. That sounds fair. You know, you can't ask for, for much more. No. You subsist on, on, you know, lamb and just kind of be your own person out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we, we, we love the country, so um, I think that's, that's, our, that's our destination at some point in the future. There's a lot of stuff that's going to try to kill you in the country in Australia. No, this is, is that, a myth. Have you thought about that at all? This is a myth. As I said, as I said, I was I was born and bred in the country, and look, it, it's there are a lot of things that um, are quite poisonous in Australia, but it's like anything; you just don't go and pick them up. That's true. <laughs> like if you're not picking them up or you're not prodding them with a stick, nothing's going to get you. I truly wish somebody would have told Steve Irwin that years ago. <laughs> yeah, well, see, he, <laughs> yep. he was a terrible example of like what not to do what to poisonous do? animals. Poke them with a stick. Yeah. Yep. Oh, look, here's a beautiful, deadly sleeping snake. I'll just jab it with this stick a few times. <laughs> Let's get it all riled up. Oh, look, it's angry now. Oh. oh. <laughs> look at those beautiful white teeth. This is a perfect <laughs> specimen. We should get closer and look at them. Yeah. Yep. Right up yep. into it. I'll just hold it by its tail and flip it around. Then I could fit my head in its mouth. Yeah. <laughs> uh, next question. Um, now, when I originally asked this, uh, it had to do with a with a, a movie many people hadn't seen before. So I, I I went ahead and I I decided to rephrase it in the form of uh, James Bond's seminal film uh, uh, Goldeneye. Yeah. Um, so you um, receive a note, a message, a missive, if you will, um, that tomorrow. Um, over your town, uh, be it small or large or whatever, uh, the GoldenEye satellite is going to, to go off. Um, right. So you're going to lose power for a while. Um, you probably won't be able to game or do anything else for a while. Um, given given the opportunity uh, before that happens, mm. what game would you play tonight? <laughs> oh, dear God. For me... Uh, oh, no, you go, Google. No, you, you go. My, my answer is not the answer that they're expecting. <laughs> really, uh, I would I would definitely be playing some Skyrim. I, I've got to finish it. I'm so close. I'm, I'm 150 hours in. I've just got a couple of quests left. I'd, I'd try and knock those quests on the head. I'd forget about the miscellaneous stuff because whatever, right? That's just going to keep coming. But just try and get those last last bits done because I I'm I'm really bad with Skyrim. I never commit to uh, to you know. Well, you know how you've you've got to choose like one storyline to go down and then that rules Do them all. Ones? But no, but you can't because you have to choose, right? Like if you go Dark Brotherhood, that that knocks out a whole bunch of other quests you can it do. It doesn't. I've done them all. No, not at really? all. Not at all. I have done really? them yeah, all. you can do all of them. I was I, lied to. I, yes, I have yes, done totally. not made clear to me. They they do. It does have a, a slight impact on how some of the stories unfold, but I'm pretty sure they are all still pretty much contained. So yes. uh, yeah, I have done every single quest, uh, the Daedric oh. ones especially. Where, when, I, when I was when I was done with Skyrim. At 114 hours, I'd finished the main story log, and then I was also the leader of the Dark Brotherhood. Yep. I was the head of the Mage Guild. I was the head of the Thieves Guild, mm. and I think I sold puppies on the side. Mm. Uh, it was <laughs> very crazy. I'll have to look into that puppy quest. That sounds yeah. awesome. Yeah, totally. He finds you on the side of the road. 
there's uh, some sort of smoking involved. I just things get nuts. <laughs> Look, uh, I, I would probably my, my answer is is going to be slightly different. I I would get into Skyrim for like half an hour and just go for a walk. Um, I've, I've as I said, I've got 720 hours or something in it, so I, I don't really need to do much more in it. But I would just go to one of my uh, my houses that I built and I'd have a walk around. And then, honestly, I'd turn my TV off and I'd open a glass, of, a bottle of wine. Yeah. Can, can I ask, Grigor, has it yeah. ever crossed your mind, 740 hours in or whatever you are? Yeah. Two... How many days that is? No, no, no. Okay. No. <laughs> have you ever thought about just killing everyone in the game? <laughs> no. I, I've always played as a very, um, I don't know, like a, a, a an empathetic... A, a, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, you know what I'm trying to say. I do, yeah, because I, I like to play like I'll have my good guy, and then I have sometimes I'll just save it, and then go on a rampage. And yeah, just, yeah. You know, let let my ear do the the, the game playing, uh, and that's I find it very cathartic. I I just wonder if there's an achievement if you kill every NPC in the game if something happens. Yeah, you get a job at Bethesda, I think. <laughs> <laughs> you get a balloon rope. <laughs> So yes, Final. that's my answer. Skyrim followed by wine. By wine. What what about at seven hundred and fifty followed with wine? What what about just Skyrim and wine? Well look, I have spent I will admit, I have drunk and Skyrimmed at the same time. <laughs> In fact, sometimes when I'm looking at the food, like the grilled leeks or something. It makes me hungry, and I'll go make something to eat, and then eat and play Skyrim. It's kind of like a, it's it's like a second life. Did you did you pretend that you were drinking Nord Mead? I did. <laughs> I actually looked into where you can get mead locally in Australia, which you can get it. It's from Tasmania. Nice. Mm. <laughs> and that's how the giant apocalypse, uh, the giant apocalypse of uh, of twenty twelve happened. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, final question. Uh, at the end of our lives, um, when we come to the gates of the Mushroom Kingdom and Toad is waiting for us with the Book of Our Deeds, what would you like him to say to you before he lets you in? You were a good dad. I think I'd like him to just do a fun rap. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, just keep it upbeat. It's cool, you're dead, but you don't have to make it all sad and serious. Just, you know. Yeah. Give me a bit of hip to the hop. <laughs> yes. They were two totally both, different answers. Both of they? those. That's fine. <laughs> I, 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 I gleefully accept the good dad because I hope at the end uh, I was one too. Uh, but yeah, you know what? If he meets me with a, you know, with with a little bit of a mix of, uh, of maybe 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 Snoop and Dre. Yeah. Um, that that'll be fine. Yeah, I'd be I'd accept that. I, I'd, I'd say well played. Yep. I, I did not expect that. <laughs> you have surprised me, uh, possibly for the last time, Toad. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, yes. Uh, that's it, guys. You made it. Hey. Uh, there's there are no prizes, unfortunately. Oh. Uh, but thankfully, I never promised you one in the beginning. Oh. Uh, so if you came through true. here expecting anything more than just our respect, I apologize. Uh, you know, not we'll in advance, it. but at the end. So. Thank you very much, uh, guys. Yeah. Jonathan, take us out. All right. Well, Michael and Grigor, thank you so much for joining us tonight. It was great talking to you. If you could just send us out by letting our listeners know where they can go to find out more information about Space Dust Racers. 
Absolutely. The easiest way to find out about it is you can just go straight to spacedustraces.com or you can check out on Steam Greenlight. I won't give you the URLs because they're ridiculous, but if you just go to Steam Greenlight, search for Space Dust Races or on Kickstarter at the moment, Space Dust Races as well. Fantastic. Well, thank you guys again and good luck as you uh, continue through with the, uh, the Kickstarter. Hope everything goes great and look forward to talking to you again sometime. Thank Thanks you very, very much, much, guys. guys. Nice chatting to you. Good night to your audience, too.